five, four, three, two, one. Welcome. You have entered the Kai Corso Experience. What's going on, Connie Corso fam? It's your boy, Johnny Doe, coming at you again with another installment of the Connie Corso Experience Podcast, the one-stop shop podcast for all your Connie Corso needs with, you know, the experience of having a Connie Corso. I don't know, just that little thing. So I'm not a professional trainer. I'm not a professional behaviorist. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a vet. I am simply a Connie Corso owner that loves working with my Connie Corso and getting the most out of my relationship with him. His name is Romulus. And of course, I like helping you people get the most out of your relationship with your dog. I am passionate about the breed. I am passionate about uh, training dog behavior and understanding dog, dog behavior. And of course, any time that you feel like you need to, you should always look to consult a professional, but not all professionals are created equal. Remember that. Do your research, but um, the whole reason I do this podcast, if you're a new listener, is it's not because there's not, uh, because I think I'm a professional in the sense of I get paid to train other people's dogs. No, I think the best, the most well-trained dogs have the most educated and committed owners, and they take ownership of their dog, no pun intended. They decide that they're going to take the forefront and teaching their dog behaviors, uh, training them, basic obedience, giving them structure and discipline. It's not something you can take your dog to um, and, and then come back and all of a sudden your dog is just going to listen. You'll hear me compare dog ownership to raising kids all the time because there's so many similarities. For instance, the best parents don't just send their kids to school. No, after the kids come home, they continue to educate and work with discipline and structure, maybe work on some of the curriculum, maybe quiz your kid on what they learn, get them to understand the higher concepts of things. You don't just take your kids to school, drop them off, and when they come back, you don't interact with them. You don't try to practice the, that good discipline and structure that they learned all day at school and then give them none at home. If you do that, you're not going to get anything out of that structure and discipline, hopefully, that they're getting in, in, in their school. Uh, you know, it's 2021, so who knows what they're actually getting in their schools nowadays. But, you know, that's another subject for another podcast. We talk about dog ownership, especially when it comes to the breed of the kind of Corso. My favorite breed besides the English Bulldog. I also have one of those. His name's Bruno. He's pretty sweet. You can check him out at Pig Lion Bulldog on Instagram. Or you could check out me and Romulus on the Cane Corso X on Instagram. Feel free to send me a message if you want about any issues that you're having with your dog. Maybe uh, show some support. Maybe show a picture of your dog. Show me some. Send me some videos. Without further ado... Let's get into this. So, I usually get a lot of my content from you, the listeners. I like to answer your questions and try to help you work through some of these issues because the best thing about um, dog ownership, or in this case, Connie Corso ownership, is the community of people that have maybe been there, done that, that can help you out. I rely on the community myself. I rely on other dog trainers, behaviorists, other dog owners, um, you know, people of that ilk. So um, one thing that I have noticed is that uh, there are a lot of people that um, have a lot of similar issues with certain breeds, okay? Um, and breeds like Cane Corsos, uh, your protective type breeds, uh, usually the most most of the issues have to do with socialization and aggression, resource guarding, things like that, okay, in this type of breed. You'll, you'll hear very similar things with people who have 
Dobermans and Rottweilers and German Shepherds and other dogs like that. They're similar. But the Conic Corso is unique, is extremely unique in how you want to train it. Uh, but all dogs have a similar foundational training that they all could use and that would accelerate um, their advanced training as long as they have that good foundational work. So I always assume that you have that good fan foundational work already. I talk about it a little bit on some of the previous episodes, but in this episode, the problem that we're going to be dealing with is, is something that I'm assuming that the foundation is already there. The hardest thing about this podcast when I'm trying to answer people's questions is I usually get them on Instagram. Sometimes they're extremely detailed, sometimes not as much, but nevertheless, um, you're probably always missing some details. And without observing the behavior and observing the before and the after the behavior, um, it's really hard to make that accurate prediction. But what I try to do is give you some ideas and um, you know, training is a lot of trial and error because your dog's unique. The way you train is unique. The way I would do it is completely different. The environment my dog's in is probably different than the environment your dog's in. Uh, this dog in particular is in an apartment. My dog is in a house. Uh, some people, their dog's inside a, a crate all day. My dog has a dog door and could go outside and run around a pretty decent sized backyard all day. So I'm going to have a different set of issues than somebody that has their their dog crated for eight hours. Okay. So with all that being said, I think there's still a lot of value in hearing other people's ideas and how they deal with certain issues with their Connie Corso. This particular listener that reached out to me just a few days ago, actually. Um, oh, and by the way, I'm, I'm doing this podcast a week early because uh, most of you know that I'm uh, an active duty military member and I have some training that I'm going to be gone all next week, uh, weekend. So when I normally would do my podcast, I don't know that I'll get a chance to upload it. If I, if I do, it'll be very late. Oh, sorry, got to wipe my eyes here. Um, it would be very late, but sometimes here, here's how I operate. Very rarely do I ever um, record a podcast and not upload it immediately because I like to kind of live in the moment sort of thing. And usually when my podcast uploads, it's like half an hour after I did it. Okay, so I don't like to sit on them. I like to get them out there as soon as possible. So instead of recording it this weekend and releasing it next weekend, um, one, I'm going to be out of town, so I'm not going to have my civilian computer in front of me to do it. And two, um, like I said, I like to upload it immediately. So the schedule is going to be a little off, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. Nobody really cares. So Romulus is sitting here uh, laying down next to me. He's taking a little nap as I record this. So this listener reached out to me on Instagram and said he was having some issues with his uh, Connie Corso that is eight months old, male, unneutered, and with particularly uh, the crate training. And it's not the training itself. It's the dog is trained and then um, is starting to exhibit behaviors that it hasn't really ex exhibited before. Now, I have a couple caveats onto this, okay? So when I uh, look at this, there's a couple things that come to mind. First thing, um, eight months old, okay? Eight months old is a very uh, standard age of a lot of dogs, but especially the Conde Corso, to be going through something we call the second fear stage. And the second fear stage doesn't mean they're afraid of everything. It means that, um, and this is very normal in most dogs, that they do regress a little bit with their training. Things that you thought that they've learned, they start to, lack of a better term, unlearn them. It's not because they're unlearning them. They're, they're maturing, especially male dogs, they're starting to get uh, that flow of testosterone in their body a little a little more um, steadily. Um, 
about that age is when male dogs can start reproducing, maybe a little few months after that, but that's where the testosterone is really flowing, okay? So it, th that hormone is going to make them react differently. It's going to make them behave differently. Um, so the things that you didn't have a problem with, they're going to react differently to. Remember your dog. So you and I, you know, we, we react to things uh, based on some conditioning, but a lot of it is um, in the beginning is is our own aware self awareness. Is we understand situ situation dictates behavior. That you know, if there's a cop around, for instance, and, and you might 100% stop before uh, the stop sign and come to a full stop. There's no cop there, and it's two in the morning. You might not. You might not come to a full stop and, and you, you know, kind of roll through the stop sign and then turn or go straight or whatever because we're self-aware. Dogs are simply instinctual animals. They can be conditioned. Obviously, that's what training is. But when they react to something, they're reacting out of, if it's not conditioning um, in a good way, it's conditioning in a bad way, or it's no conditioning, which is instinct. They see something they want to that's running from them. If they have a high prey drive, their instinct is to chase it. If you have conditioned your dog to chase a remote control car, a ball, um, other dogs, whatever, um, then it will chase it as well. But it's not going to be self-aware, and it's not going to come up with its own conclusion whether or not something should be chased or not chased. It's either going to chase it or not chase it based on it's conditioning. Now you can uh, obviously condition it with commands and get it not to chase it. But if it wants to chase it, you can't get it not to want to chase it. Okay. You can get them not to, but it doesn't mean that they're not wanting to. Okay. And that's an important distinction to understand when you're dealing with animals that their behaviors are way different than ours. There's some people in our world that whatever law is on our books, that law keeps them from said behavior. But the well-rounded people that have a strong ethical moral foundation, they don't need that law to tell them not to murder someone or not to steal something. They just inherently know that it's wrong because you're self-aware and it's very easy for you to go, okay, if I steal this, that means this person that owns this business is going to lose money. And if I was in their shoes, that would... I wouldn't want to lose money and it's not mine. I need to, you know, and, and you can go down those roads to understand why you shouldn't steal something. And then there's people that they don't understand why. They just know society will frown upon it and they'll get in trouble so they don't do it. Okay. That's the best you can do for your dog for the most part is the latter where they go, I really want to bite this dude or attack this dog, but I'm not going to because I'm trained not to. But it doesn't mean that the desire isn't there. So if you have a dog that instinctually has a desire to do something, the best you can hope for is to recondition it to listen to you and to not act on its impulses. But I don't think that you're going to reprogram it to all of a sudden um, not be a, you know, like, hey, I want to eat meat, but you convinced me to eat vegetables. <laughs> now, I mean, the dog, you can get it to sit there and not eat until you give it a command, but it's still going to want it. It's still going to be salivating. It's still going to hunger for that, okay? So um, why I'm making that distinction is because a lot of people sometimes, and not this listener necessarily, it's just some people in general that I've talked to before, they act like their dog is deciding to do something. Like... Like it listens one day and then all of a sudden it decides not to anymore. And I go, well, it's, that's, it's not deciding not to. It's, it's that, that foundation that you thought was there was uh, very thinly veiled. And then once something new got added, like a, a new hormone like testosterone, or it got confidence or matured a little bit, or there's uh, a, a competitor around another dog or a female dog that they're trying to get their attention or a stranger that they do not understand or something changes in their environment, then their, their instincts 
will react accordingly. Okay, so <clears throat> kind of got off on a tangent there, but I think it's important that that context is extremely important when talking about what I'm going to talk about with this issue with crate training. So this uh, listener in particular has an eight-month-old male Cane Corso that always went into his crate. Every time he told him uh, like a crate command or a place command, the dog would do it. Now the dog is, is reluctant to do it. And when he grabs the dog's collar, it's being reactive and snapping at him. Not biting him, but snapping at him. Okay? Now, I'm going to stop right there and explain to you guys that that is not necessarily a bad thing when your dog snaps at you. For the novice dog owner, it's unsettling and um, it can be very troubling. To a novice dog owner, I've seen people do everything from to give their dog up, take it to a shelter, or even take it out in the back and shoot it. I've, Like I said, I live in Wyoming and there's a lot of idiots that don't understand. They have dogs, they don't understand basic dog behavior and they think... Uh, it's very black and white to them. There's no gray area. Here's something that your dog cannot do. It can't read your mind. Here's something you can't do. Read your dog's mind. Here's something else that your dog can't do. Speak English or even understand English. You might think it understands your commands. It doesn't as much as you think they do. So the only way it can express itself is through sounds or through body language and action. And if you misinterpret those, those are the people that have great struggles with their relationship with their dog. I am blessed that I have a better understanding of dog behavior many times than I do from human behavior because humans are deceptive. Humans um, will choose to be untrustworthy. Humans will tell you what you want to hear. Humans will posture and post fake crap on Instagram and Facebook uh, because they're chasing some clout or they're wanting people to think they're more important than they are. Dogs don't do any of that crap. Dogs will react based on how they are fe feeling in the moment 100% of the time. They don't act one way but are really feeling another way. You, they're very black and white in the sense of that behavior that, that you, that they, that you're witnessing, that's what it actually is if you interpret the behavior correctly. That's where most people go wrong with dogs because they misinterpret what the behavior is. Now, like I said, your dog cannot read your mind. You not, cannot read his or hers. It cannot speak English. So if it's snapping at you or it's barking at you, or it's whining or, or whatever, those are the ways that it's trying to say, hey, dude, this is something I either like, don't like, I'm afraid of, something. It's trying to explain something to you. I can articulate with great uh, verbiage and vernacular through these airwaves onto this podcast that you will download and press play and it plays through your earphones and you will understand, most of you, exactly what I'm saying. Because we understand the nuances of language. And I can further um, expand my ideas or get into great detail with things that, that you uh, question or that I haven't made clear in the initial statement. That's, that is so far removed from your communication with your dog. Okay. So <clears throat> when you're trying to put your dog in the crate or this listener in particular and you give the dog the crate command and it doesn't want to go in there, more than likely it's because it knows that that crate symbolizes I'm going to be in here and I'm not going to get to inter interact. I don't get to do, you know, kind of hang out in the house. I don't have access to my toys. Maybe it, it needs to go to the bathroom Maybe um, it's, you know, no, thinks that you're going to leave for uh, a period of time, whatever. There's a reason it doesn't want to go in there. It's not because it thinks it's running the show necessarily. It's not because it's trying to be disobedient. There's 
something about that it does not want. So it can choose to either just comply and be sad or with this listener with an eight-month-old male Connie Corso that's just getting a taste of testosterone flowing through their body, they will probably have the instinct to say, let me challenge this person and see what the reaction is. Because every male dog, sooner or later, if it has certain traits, will challenge the alpha, will test it. And I'm not saying out and out like, let me try to be alpha. They will see what they can get away with, okay? There's dogs that they have, lack of a better term, ambition. Like I said, dogs don't really have ambition, but we'll just use a a, a people term. The ambition to be the alpha one day. Some dogs are completely fine not being the alpha, but they still want to get away with more than what the alpha is willing to let them, no matter if it's food or resources or um, a territory, whatever. And so they will see what they can get away with until that alpha corrects them or that leader corrects them, and then they will back down. But they will always test. You know, After a period of time, they will get back to it. Just like your kids, you can ground them for something and they got their tail between their legs for weeks, months, maybe even years. At some point, they're going to test you again. Dogs are the exact same way. Over time, like many, many years of of consistent um, behavior modification, discipline and structure, your dog will rarely test you because it just has a great understanding of what that relationship is. There's an obedience, there's a comfortability, but especially in the beginning, in that first couple years, it's gonna be touch and go, and you're going to have to retrain and reinforce certain things. So this dog has the testosterone going through, it's deciding it wants to challenge because it just wants to see what happens. And if it snaps at you, it's not trying to bite you. It's not trying to harm you. It's saying, hey, dude, leave me alone. I don't want to go in the crate. That's simply what they're saying. I do not want to go in the crate. So there's two courses of action you can take. There's there's one, you just don't put him in the crate. And then there's two where you give it a hard correction. You give it a collar pop. You smack him. You tell him no. You put him in submissive posture. You dominate him. You get him on the ground and say no. And those are usually the two course of action most people do. And I can tell you that they're both wrong. Now, let me obviously explain. I have a podcast. Why wouldn't I explain? I don't say end a show, you know, cut to my uh, plug of my Instagram and be kind to man's best friend. Peace out. No, 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 no. I'm not done. I'm not finished. Just, just wait. Just listen. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So I'm going to explain why that's wrong. Okay, so um, if your dog is truly aggressive, okay, that that is aggression, but is it, um, so I worked in recruiting for a long time in the military. And they say when you're trying to recruit somebody, you got to find the motivator and value. So the motivator is like, I want to join the army. That's the motivator. Why do you want to join the army? Well, it's because my my grandfather uh, was, was uh, served in World War II. Well, that's also the motivator. That's not the value. And I go, well, why is that important that your grandfather was in World War II? Well, I just, I want to be like my grandfather and I know it'll make my father proud if I follow in my grandfather's footsteps. Bingo, that's the value. That's the the real reason why the person wants to join. Not because their grandfather was there, it's because they want to make their father proud. See, training a dog is the exact same thing. There's the There's the prime thing is like, that's aggression. But what is the motivator of that aggression? Or what is the value that is, that is, um, kind of spawning that motive, that motivator using that sales analogy. Okay. That value in this case is probably fear. It's almost always fear. When a dog snaps, when it growls, when it bites, it's usually fear. It's not true aggression. Now it's aggression because it's 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 reacting, but it's 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 fear based. But why is it afraid? 
it's afraid because it's going through, it might be going through that second fear stage and it hasn't been addressed yet. Okay. And so the thing that I, and I actually never do this to let you guys behind the curtain. I don't do a lot of show prep. I don't write things down. I don't have a script. I do everything by memory, like my little intro and everything. There's no script. I don't read anything. Um, you guys know when I'm reading because I, I read listener emails and I sound like a fifth grader, okay? So, um, but I wrote some things down because I wanted to make sure to explain this point, okay? So, um, if you're being dominant or pushy, um, to a dog that shows fear and aggression, uh, there's a good likelihood that you can make it worse, okay? Um, and so what I wrote down is um, if you tried to dominate a dog that is being reactive because of fear, you can actually elicit a worse behavior. Um, and why I wrote that down is I want to make sure to make it clear because you, you hear me talk about uh, putting my dog in a submissive posture. You hear me talk about um, making sure to like stand in front of your dog. Uh, like when you put him in the heel, you got to make sure to kind of put one leg in front of him so you're claiming that territory. You'll hear me say things like walk through your dog, don't walk around your dog, which that's all true, but you're not doing that uh, necessarily in a corrective way, making it a, 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 a correction. And I'm not saying giving a correction is, is wrong or bad. I do it to Romulus all the time. But there's a time and a place for that when it's fundamental training, when it's not just a, a you got to remind them not to do something. When that correction doesn't work, you can't then get into the point where you are, and I don't want to overuse this term or be hyperbolic by saying abusive because it's not abuse. I know that you're not trying to be mean to the dog, but it can come off that way if you're just dominating a dog into compliance. Because you can do that. You can you can get the dog to just comply. But have you changed that underlying value and addressed the fear? Probably not. And it might rear its ugly head again. So what you want to do is, one, you hear me talk about all the time that you cannot correct your way to having a good Cane Corso. Some dogs you can just because their spirits are easily broken. I'm not saying that that's should be ever ever be what you want from a dog. But I'm just saying it's with certain dog breeds, it's very easy that they respond a little bit better to negative reinforcement because they're they they just do. Cane corsos will pout, and um, because depending on what kind of foundational training, they could lose respect for you, and then you'll never get them to do anything except be aggressive towards you. So the the big thing that I want you to understand is you're probably not going to be able to ever correct your way to victory with this dog. And I and I talk about it all the time. It's so much easier to reward your way to victory than to criticize. And like I said, there's an analogy between people and dogs and most people are like that. You can't just beat them down. At some point, you got to show them what they're doing right. That's why most most really, really good dog trainers rarely correct their dogs unless it's something that's just an immediate, instant, like, no crap, you can't do that sort of thing. But that's not the training. The training isn't the correction. It's just a correction, and then you got to get back to the re- reinforcement. Okay. Reinforcing the good behavior is really the only way to have lasting fundamental change in your dog. That's where the conditioning sticks. And not only did you condition them to go in the crate, but you condition them to see the crate as being positive. So it's it's that value underneath that motivator. The motivators go in the crate, but the value is I want to go in the crate because I love my owner and I have a bond, and he says, this is what's best for me, and I want to please him. You you can flip that switch. 
you can't get them to be self-aware, but I'm saying that that's the analogy that I'm using, that the thought process. They're, obviously, they're not going through that thought process, but what I'm saying is that is kind of how they're going to see it, is that instinct is so strong of, it's a positive feeling going in the crate, not the negative. So remember when you started your crate training, did you use it as punishment for your dog? Well, if you did, no wonder your dog doesn't want to go in the crate. If you didn't, if you use positive reinforcement, then that's the answer to your question. You got to get back to basics. Remember, when those dogs go through that regression cycle or that second fear stage is what we call it in the Connie Corso community, you have to go back to the fundamentals and you kind of restart your training again and just start from square one like you never crate trained your dog and go back to it. And you'll notice two things. One, it's going to be, they're, they're, you're going to get a better uh, response from them. And two, it's so much easier to train them the second time because they start remembering, oh yeah, I've already learned this. Okay. So it's easier to train the second time. So if you can do it the first time, then it should be easy the second time. And two, it, it gets your dog the confidence because no dog or person ever gets confidence from somebody dressing them down, somebody overcorrecting them, somebody criticizing them, somebody beating them down, dominating them. That is not how you build confidence in your dogs. How you build confidence is through praise, is through victories, is through, hey boy, you did a great job. This is exactly what I want. And when they understand that, then they want to continue to do that because dogs, to our benefit, one of the greatest attributes they have, especially the breed of the Connie Corso is they want to please you more than anything. That is their number one motivator in this world is to please you. Now, the elephant in the room is always, does your dog see you as the pack leader? When I talk about submissive posture, like one of the first things that I texted this listener was, do you know what submissive posture is? And I just wanted to make sure that they knew what it is so I could explain it a little bit further and how I use it. So a lot of people will say, well, you have to reestablish your dominance to the dog and you need to throw him down and submit him. And guess what, people? That's exactly what I used to do. You know why I did that? Is because I watched this breeder on YouTube and every single time her dog messes up, she puts them in submissive posture. Well, it's because her dogs aren't really pets. She keeps them pinned up in a cage and then lets them play and then um, is just trying to, um, that works for her. And it hey, it works for you. But that's not how you really elicit a strong bond between you and an individual dog. Maybe if, I'm not a breeder, so if I had 50 dogs, maybe that's what you got to do. Got it. Um, but I'm going to take a leap here and say that the listener that sent me this question doesn't have 50 Connie Corsos, he has one. And you might have a couple other dogs or whatever else, but I'm telling you right now, you're not going to get a lot out of your relationship with your dog when you're constantly beating them down and yelling at them. This person in particular on YouTube, um, that's, that's all she does is correct her dogs, okay? And you don't ever see any positive reinforcement um, when they're doing something right because they're almost never doing anything right because that's the, there's there's no foundational training. There's no rules for the most part when they're outside uh, because she's not going to be able to have lots of content for YouTube, I'm assuming. That's what it is. And I'm not implying that she doesn't know better or that she doesn't know how to train. She I, she probably knows Connie Corsos a uh, hundred times over more than I do. I call this podcast the Connie Corso Experience because it's about the experience of ownership, not about uh, having a large um, breeding conglomerate or being a dog trainer on YouTube where you're training a stranger's dog for two weeks and then and then 
editing, selectively editing it so it looks like that you're getting these great results, but who knows if it lasts in week number three, right? <laughs> That's what they never show you. They show you the, the two weeks that they're boarding and training, and then they give it back to their owner, and who knows if it, if it all went out the window, right? That's why I do not believe the hype about that. And that's why I started this podcast where I say, hey, you got to take back control and you have to be the one to be that trainer for your dog. Because if you're depending on other people, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in the training world because there's there's nothing that validates a trainer. I can just call myself a professional trainer. Here's the thing. I could start every episode by saying I'm a professional trainer. And no one can really call me out on it because what's a professional trainer? Do you go to school for it? Do you got a certification? Do you got, like, you can get certifications, but who certifies those people to give me certifications? Nobody. There's no, there's, there's no accreditation authority over dog trainers. So it's all witchcraft at this point. It's, it's all a bunch of um, unregulated kind of cowboys and cowgirls going and doing their own thing. And some people just have a knack for it and a talent for it. And some people don't. And some people are charlatans and, and, and everything in between. That's why I always have that disclaimer in the front of this podcast is because I'm not trying to come off as a professional trainer. I don't know that I could train your dog better than you can. Actually, I believe I don't, I couldn't. I think I can give you the tools to train your dog more effectively, but I don't think I can train your dog better than you could with my tools or with the tools that I've learned. They're not, I shouldn't even say my tools because I don't have my tools. Okay. Um, the training world is you're picking up everything from what you're observing and what works for you. That's why you hear me talk about trial and error all the time. It's extremely important to see what works for you. So, when you overcorrect your dog, your dog can lose confidence. And depending on the disposition and what type of dog that you have, that could go very bad for you. You want your dog to be extremely confident. Confident dogs rarely are reactive and usually don't bite people. That's why you hear socialization all the time. You hear that at nauseum. And um, I'm telling you this. If your dog starts to regress, then just start from the basics again. And when I say start from the basics, just go through the, that same training that you did before. But when I was talking about submissive posture, and I got way off topic talking about YouTubers and stuff. Um, when I was talking about submissive posture, I use that in my training in the sense of I teach Romulus that submissive posture as a command. And any time that I don't want him to, for instance, you see another dog walking by and I don't want him to be reactive toward that dog. I don't use submissive posture as a correction. I put him in submissive posture so he's not one standing uh, with, with the wrong aggressive posture, looking at a dog, staring the dog down. I don't want him in the down position because that is kind of that can be kind of a predatory type thing as well where they're tracking the other dog. I either have them focus on me with a focus command or I put him in submissive posture because then he's relaxed. He's not paying attention to anything around him. And I'm trying to get him to relax. I'm trying to make sure that his anxiety is down. And, and, and when he is in the submissive posture, what he is telling me is I trust you enough to be not even aware of what's going on around me. What that does is wire his brain to to remember and to remind him that you got nothing to worry about. You don't have to guard me. You don't have to resource guard. You don't have to be protective. You don't have to be fearful. You don't have to be anything. You can be submissive and I got this and I will protect you. I will protect you, not you protecting me. That's how I use it. So I do that as a reminder throughout my training. And so instead of using it as a correction, my dog did something wrong and I make him get down in the submissive posture. No, I'm, I use that as getting my dog to relax. But if your dog won't get in submissive posture, then that means that they do not trust you. That's why I asked 
if you know what submissive posture is to, to this listener. If you can learn submissive posture and you can give a command, a verbal command for your dog to do it, not as a correction, as more of a trust fall, you know, like where the people, I'm going to fall and you got to catch me. Put your dog in submissive posture. And if they listen and you can keep them there for 30 seconds, a minute, like Romulus, I put him in submissive posture when I was talking to my vet. I think uh, I I mentioned this the last couple podcasts because he's very reactive at the vet. And I put him in submissive posture and we were probably sitting there talking for a good five minutes with him not even moving. Where before he was very reactive, our eyes darting around, trying to figure out what's going on. It's an excuse for him to stay calm. Like right now, he's laying down. He's asleep. Uh, yeah, his eyes are closed. But he's in submissive posture, essentially. Because a dog will never sleep like this on his side unless he's completely comfortable that there's no dangers around them. You'll see them curled up like in a little ball. You know, you don't see wolves, for instance, sleeping like this very often out in the wild. You see them kind of curled up in a little ball, you know. And it's a little bit more of a defensive shell, you know. Anytime they're open like this, where they're on their side, they're completely comfortable because they're exposed, right? So I use that stuff as reinforcement. When I walk through my dog, that's all reinforcement. I don't do that to punish him. I don't do that to degrade him. I don't, um, when I make, give my dogs those place commands, that's to remind them. See, discipline and structure is so important because it reminds your dog throughout the day who the boss is. So when the time comes to put them in their bed, put them in their crate, put them outside, whatever the case may be, you've already established a dozen times throughout the day who the pack leader is and they don't have to try to remember. They already know. They don't have to think. They don't have to figure out if they want to do that. It's just part of their reactive instinct to do it because they see you as the pack leader. So tip number one, get back to basics. Start retraining that like you've never trained it before. Like it's a brand new thing. Start retraining those fundamentals to create training. And maybe if you did it wrong uh, the first time and you forced them, uh, do some research Um, There's a lot out there on crate training. The general consensus is you want the crate to be a positive thing, not a negative thing. So don't use it as punishment. You know, you shut the door and you leave for maybe 30 seconds. You come back, you reward, and you do that until you can leave for five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. All that takes time. But if you do it right and you take the time and you're patient. Patience is a virtue in dog training and behavior modification. You have to be patient. You can't just leave for a minute and your dog's not reactive. Let him out, reward him, and then put him back in the crate and then leave for five hours. You can't do that. You got to work your way up. So get back to those basics. Reward. Give lots and lots and lots of positive feedback when they're doing something right. Boosts that confidence. Make your dog extremely confident where it thinks, I'm coming in here by choice because I know that the pack leader wouldn't do do me wrong like that. They're not going to do me dirty and make me come in here when I don't want to. So I have to trust them. Just like Romulus being in submissive posture, I don't have to decide if this is the time to go into submissive posture because he told me to, so I know that I'm safe. That is the key to dog leadership. It's not always about ownership. It's about dog leadership and you have to be the leader for them to respond to. Like I said, dogs cannot read your mind. If he's snapping at you, it's not because he he wants to hurt you. It's actually the opposite. If he wanted to hurt you, he would have bit you. He's snapping at you to warn you. I don't like this. So what is that telling you? That means you got to convince him that he has to like it. You don't have to... Anybody can make a dog do something if you want to... If you want to be abusive, you can do that. You have to convince them that they want to do that because you want them to do that. So 
Tip number two. Like I said, number one, get back to basics. Number two, reestablish your dominance um, through, excuse me. Tip number two was the confidence, really positive reinforcement, build their confidence. Tip number three, establish your dominance throughout the day. Not as a corrective, abusive way, but give them lots of place commands. Get them, Give them lots of commands throughout the day. Give them the place command where it's out in the open, where there's no cage, where there's no crate. Make them stay, put them in submissive posture from time to time, and then give them immense rewards when they do that. That all builds their confidence and establishes trust. Understand that when your dog snaps at you and you pull back and you disengage completely, you kind of rewarded them. So you got to restructure that. Like I said, you can give them a correction. Do not give them a correction and put them back in the crate though. Give them a correction, no collar pop, whatever. Put them in the corner like Romulus. I say, I'll give him a hard no and make him go to his bed. So me trying to put them in the crate is the wrong time to be just making corrections and saying, man, I got to go. You got to get in here. So that's why you want to train that when you don't need them in the crate. So you can, when they snap at you, you stop, give them the hard correction, make them go to their bed, make them do something they don't want to do and then hold them there. Not physically, more, you know, psychological hold like, no, no, you're not getting this. Nope, you're not getting what you want. That correction is marking that they did something wrong Go put them in, let's say, the bed or whatever, and then re-engage once they've disassociated that that crate thing's going on. Maybe go and have them do something else. Your dogs have very short memories, and then maybe an hour later, 45 minutes later, you come back to the crate training and start from the basics. Start associating that crate as a positive thing. Put some like high-value treats or toys that they really want, put them in that crate. They go in there just for a second to grab it and come back out, just give them immense rewards when they're going in. You got to mark when they're in, not when they come out. Mark when they're going in. That's where you use that fundamental clicker training if that's how you mark. Some people, it's just a yes. Some people use the clicker. However, that you initially did it. See, that's the great thing about when they regress and you're retraining is you already know how to do it because you did it once. So just go back to those fundamentals. Retrain that, reestablish confidence and reestablish the pecking order that they want to please you because reestablish that you're the pack leader and this is what you want. But if you reestablish that pack leadership before they're confident, then it's going to look like that you're 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 being a little too heavy-handed and you might elicit even a stronger response where they snap at you or actually bite you. Still, like I said, they snap at you, they bite you, they break the skin. They're not trying to hurt you. They're trying to communicate and you're not understanding. If your dog was aggressive, they wouldn't wait for you to do something. They would just run over and start attacking you. Dogs that are aggressive toward other dogs... They just go and attack those other dogs. When a dog comes up to the dog and one gets bit, that's called reactivity or fear. That's not dog aggression. There's there's a difference. And that's where the biggest problem in all dog training is people don't understand the behaviors that their dogs are exhibiting, me included. It's not easy. And I'm not saying that I'm an expert. What I'm saying is, if you don't know, you got to stop and you got to find out. You got to ask questions. You got to do some research. You got to do what you did is talk to people. And I constantly have my nose in books. I just ordered a new book today because one person recommended it. And it was called, it's called um, The Other Side of the Leash or something like that. And I can't remember who wrote it because I just bought it off Amazon. It's like an impulse buy. It was like 12 bucks. But it's all about the psychology of what animals are thinking sort of thing. And I'm very much into the psychology and the behavior aspect of dog training. And so if someone finds value in it, I might only like one chapter out of it, but if it if I can get something out of it, then so be it, I'm going to. And so it's it's important that you really look at a lot of different resources, but the bottom line is you got to try and trial and error and and understand that that 
particular instance, just like if a kid lashes out, like let's say a kid goes out and gets drunk and, and sometimes it's about that situation. And sometimes there's underlying issues that maybe they are seeking attention and this is how they choose to get it. So it's not the alcohol that you should be addressing. It's you're not giving your kid enough attention or they feel something else. It's the same with dogs. You got to make sure that you're addressing what the root problem is and not just the symptom of that problem. Dog training, if done correctly, is really understanding dog behavior and then implementing a strategy and doing it consistently. I've said a million times, I am not a good dog trainer. I'm adequate, but I would not say I have talent. I've seen people that have talent. Where my talent is, is I understand the dogs that I'm working with. There's so many people I think that are better at the command aspect and the marking and rewarding and all that. I'm very good with discipline. I'm real good with structure and consistency and understanding the behavior aspects of it. I'm under, I, I do really good with the bonding stuff. I'm not the best trainer. But I still think I'm better than the best trainer on YouTube with my dog. I think if I learn those tools, even though they might be able to implement them more uh, steadily and efficiently, ultimately, I if I can't do it, that dog's going to regress once that dog's in my hands again. You can do this. You can, you just got to learn the tools. And then you will be the best dog trainer ever. No one can be a better Romulus trainer than me. I promise you. There's not one trainer in the world that can grab my dog and be better than me unless they own the dog. If I give them Romulus, they can probably be a lot better than me. But as long as this dog is bonded to me and I to him, no one can ever be a better trainer. So I'm trying to find the best trainers and behaviorists in the world, learn from them, and then implement that for my dog. And you guys hopefully have very similar ideas and philosophies in trying to make sure because that is the only way to get the most bang for your buck, especially with the Connie Corso. If they don't see you as that person putting in the work, you're not going to get that bond. That bond is so important for this dog. And, and it's it's the reason why you're going to get over this reactive snapping at you when trying to get in the crate. Because once you reestablish that bond. And that would probably say, you know, if I would to say that there's a step four, it's making sure. And this is always implied. Like I said, there's so many things that we can't talk about because I don't know what you're doing the before and after. It's not always about the this. It's what happened before and what happened after. You know, when someone's in the hospital for heart disease, it's usually not just heart disease. It's maybe they had a lifestyle that led them down that road. If they're diabetic, some people it's genetics. Some people it's bad diet, exercise, lifestyle, you know, so on and so forth. So don't just treat the symptom, treat the root cause of it. Now I sound like Joe Biden about migration, but um, with the whole root cause. But it is true. You, you, at some point, we all have to look at what is the, what is the. Oh, here's the symptom, but what's the cause of it? But like I said, step four is reestablishing that bond, making sure that you have that good bonding time with your dog. I took Romulus. It's Sunday today. Uh, Sunday morning walk is we we really do something special. We we went to. Uh, a hike through the mountains and we usually only get go a mile. We did two miles. We took our time. It was all off the leash and it was time for him just to be a dog. It wasn't about training. Yesterday was very regimented training. I wore this dog out yesterday after we, we did half as long on our training session yesterday than we did today. But yesterday, cause it was so mentally stren- strenuous he slept all day yesterday because he was exhausted. Today, I worked his butt. I mean, we ran at elevation, up hills. We did a lot of stuff. I mean, I was wore out when we got back. But he was he wanted he went immediately to the backyard and wanted to play ball. I'm like, dude. Because 
the mental stress or the mental uh, athletics takes it out of your dog so much more than the physical. But my point about my walk today is the, the, the main point of the walk today was not about training. It wasn't about making sure that he has a good um, stay command or a good perfect heel command. Today was about bonding because when you get your dog in that hunter, that pack hunting mode, that is when dogs in a wolf pack bond. They bond over the hunt. And that's what dog walking simulates to your dog. That's why they get excited to do it because instinctually, when you go on a hunt, you might get to eat. So that's why they're hardwired to want to go on a walk because it simulates the hunt. So that's a time for us just to bond. Because I know if we do that, if I just let him be a dog, I give him lots, it's nothing but love the entire time. Yeah, I might give him a correction if he was trying to chase a deer or something like that. But it's more of a verbal because he's off the leash. But it's a time that we can have a lot of fun and that he can see that I'm his pack leader. That bond gets reinforced. And it's it's one of my favorite things to do with Romulus. Hopefully you can't hear he's, he's snoring really loud right next to me. But it's, it's I, I cannot express to you how important that is to my life, is that bond that I have with my dog. And guess what? If you overcorrect your dog, if you bully them into submission, it's going to fracture that bond. And I've gone down that road with Romulus, with other dogs too. And it's it wasn't out of, because I was mean, it was out of ignorance because I thought I was doing the right thing. You learn over time, like I have, that there's better methods. There's a time and a place where you have to be hard on your dog. I'm not saying you, you never are, but not when you're trying to do some repetitive training isn't when you're doing those hard corrections. Those hard corrections are in the moment things when they're fighting with another dog, when they're you know, when they're just out of control and you need to kind of break, you're trying to snap them out of a mindset that they're in. It doesn't mean that you can't give them, you can't use a prong collar or something to give them that correction initially to snap their brain out. But remember, then you got to train toward that positive reinforcement. You got to show them what right looks like. But the bottom line is this. When they're snapping at you, they're just communicating with you. Understand that. Don't take it personal. It's not people think, oh, my dog has gone crazy. It doesn't like me. It doesn't respect me. It could be in pain. It could be deathly afraid of something. There's certain things, and I've said it before, that I'm never going to get Romulus. He's never going to be cool with going to the vet. He's never going to be cool with having a bath. My goal is not to traumatize him further. My goal is to try to get him to the point where he can handle it until he can't. So I, I got to up his tolerance, but I, I can't ever condition him to enjoy those things. Some dogs are afraid of car rides. Some dogs are afraid of, you know, uh, the trash truck or mailman or other dogs or whatever. And if they're it's truly almost like a, a trauma type thing. It's going to be hard to recondition them, but you can recondition them to look at you for purpose and direction and not be reactive because they see you as the pack leader, but instinctually they, they still might have that fear. They're just not exhibiting it. So keep working on your dog. Keep reinforcing those good behaviors. When they're doing something right, make sure to give them lots of reward. When they go in that crate, make it a positive thing. And to be very honest with you, you are not alone. There's a lot of people that have to retrain things like crate training because it's not really instinctually, 
something a dog is ever ever gets used to being confined in a crate for lo- uh, large periods of time, they're never going to choose that life. Okay, in the sense of if it starts to be something negative that they associate, you got to reassociate that. And when it becomes harder, if you say, well, it was actually harder the second time than the first time, then it's because it got that negativity of that thing got reinforced too often. And now you got to figure out how to reinforce it as a good thing. It might be you have to move that crate to a different spot in the house so it associates it differently than the spot that you have it now. Like Romulus always sees uh, one bathroom as the scary one because that's where I forced him to have a bath once. My mistake. (laughs) I didn't realize it was going to traumatize him so bad. But the other bathroom he'll walk into because he doesn't see that as that's where I got locked in and the guy was giving me a bath. So that's if I want to try to give him another bath, the only way to do it is probably I'm going to have to do it the correct way in the bathroom that he doesn't have the negative association with. And when I say the correct way, he's never going to, you know, I I, I shouldn't say that. I've already got him in that bathroom and gave him, I, I think I've even talked about in this podcast, it was basically a sponge bath. And I had to use his remote control car to get him comfortable. And I was kind of playing with his car um, while I was, you know, giving him a bath and, and, and basically a, um, not dry shampoo, but actual shampoo, but not having him in the tub, but just with towels and a washcloth and all that stuff. Okay. And not rinsing, pouring water over him, but just like a sponge bath. And he was tolerating it. But as soon as, as he, um, I try to make it as positive as I can. And before he was tapping out, I had to let him out and then let his anxiety get out. And then when he came back to the room, give him lots of positive reinforcement and not finish the bath there. So, so it didn't end with a negative association. It ended with, Hey, you came back in it and the bath didn't start happening again. So he didn't associate every time I come back here, he he's doing something I didn't like. No, you left and came back and you got treats. You got to play with your car, all that stuff. And so it's a very slippery slope and it is like walking a tight rope. If your dog has high anxiety or a propensity to be fearful toward a certain thing. It's very hard. Uh, Make no mistake, it's not easy. But if it's not something your dog is very like phobic about, then it just takes some repetition and some good positive reinforcement. You'll be able to train them, no problem. And if it is something that they're phobic about that they've never been very good at and something that you've hit a brick wall time after time after time, then you might have to lower your expectations of what victory looks like. Because there are times that certain dogs are not going to be perfect. I mean, beware a trainer that says you can get this dog to be just like this dog over here. You can get them less like maybe if they're violent or reactive or whatever, make them less but make no mistake, there's certain dogs that they're always going to have certain behaviors and they're going to be inside of them and it's your job to try to manage them, but you're not going to get rid of them, okay? So um, just know that that the chances are that you don't have the latter. You have the former where your dog is just going through its second fear stage. It's regressing a little bit and you just got to reinforce that training. Okay, so hopefully that helped you. Hopefully that answered your question. Hopefully I got into some topics um, that maybe I haven't covered before or maybe help some other people out there. I don't know. If you want to help this show, I don't have advertisers. I don't have sponsors. I don't make money at this and I don't want to make money. I'm not trying to make money at this. How about that? Um, But I still want lots of followers, lots of listeners in a big community because I think we all can help one another and I'm all about positivity and, and uh, in the dog owner world. If you want to help this show, subscribe to my Instagram. Maybe share it with a friend. But the biggest way to help is go to iTunes, go to Spotify, go wherever you find this podcast. Give it a good review. You know, hit the five star. Just say, hey, yeah, he's good. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever you want to say. 
because it does help the algorithm. If you search Connie Corso on uh, any podcast app, my podcast pops up pretty quick. And it's partially because of you guys and partially because there's not a lot of Connie Corso stuff out there. But I want it to be higher in the queue with this just general dog training in general because I think, um, you know, if you got a Connie Corso, you're at the ninja level. And some people that are just newer to the community of the dog world, um, if they see how hard it is to do with a Connie Corso, then if they have a golden retriever they're having problems with, maybe they'll see hey, it could be worse. And this is what I should aspire to is this much structure and discipline. And if you put that on your golden retriever, it's going to be even better. You'll even have a stronger bond. So like I said, comment, um, obviously subscribe, share it with a friend, leave a comment, check me out on the Connie Corso X, uh, send me a message. If you want me to profile a question that you have on this podcast, that's where I get a lot of my content. It's where I get a lot of my ideas. I thank you guys. And as always, be kind to man's best friend. Till next time, peace. Ah, ah, ah.